0: Coming up on Please Bear With Me, we are 7-0 and getting ready for West Virginia on Halloween. This is Please Bear With Me. What's up? We're back in Houston this week, not in El Campo. Back in here with co-producer Martin Thomas. My name's Scotty Swingler. Glad to be coming at you from Houston. Seven and O Baylor Bears and an absolutely dominating second half against Oklahoma State with the big victory there. What a fun game to watch! We got all sorts of stuff from that game coming. Martin, how are you doing this week? Man, if I had a nickel for every time I told someone that we were 7-0 and they didn't ask me, I could pay my Baylor tuition. That's saying something right there, buddy. <laughs> That's really saying something. i tell you what. Well, hey, I want to start with this. Before we talk about the game, before we talk about West Virginia, this is what I've got. Two weeks in a row, I have watched Baylor Twitter have a meltdown in the middle of a game and overreact to whatever's going on. And it's driving me nuts. Y'all need to chill. Wait, Wait, y'all if, I need under- to- if I understand you correctly, you're telling me that something happened on social media that overblew what was happening. That's exactly what I'm telling you. No way. Y- and y'all need to chill. Y'all need to calm the heck down. And I I touched on this last week and I got over it. And then it happened again. So let me say it again. Y'all need to chill, okay? <laughs> A football game is 4 quarters long. All right? And and based on what you see in one sequence or one half does not change how we should feel about our team or our quarterback or our head coach, okay? So 2 weeks ago it was it was Chuck we're playing against Texas Tech. Texas Tech, no secret, they're not one of the better teams in the Big 12 this year. Charlie Brewer had three interceptions, did not look like himself. He played poorly, okay? I get it. Homecoming, everybody's emotions are real high. I get it. And half of you are on Twitter saying, put Gary Bohan in. No, chill. Chill. Go look at what Charlie Brewer has done over the course of his career. Did he have a bad half? Yes. At the end of the day, he won the game for the Bears. I told you he would. Okay? No reason to panic and quit on your starting quarterback after a bad half. This week, it was going down 20-10. to 10. When Baylor went down 20-10, Oklahoma State scores. It's 20-10. All I see on my timeline is doom and gloom from other Baylor podcast hosts. From self-purported like biggest Baylor fanatic, all of you, twenty to ten on the road. Oh no, it's over. Call it. We're done. Ball game. Twenty to ten. And I literally tweeted one just like two weeks ago. I tweeted y'all chill about the Gary Bohannon thing. Like Charlie Brewer's gonna win this game, and he did. I tweeted, and listen, I, I did I had this game pegged as a loss. I've had this game pegged as a loss since preseason, but I tweeted, y'all, chill out. There's a lot of football game left. It's only 20 to 10. It's a 10 point deficit. That's not monumental. And what happened after that? Do you know what happened after that tweet? Baylor went on a 35 to seven run and whooped up on some Cowboys. That's what happened. Des Bryant's over here tweeting, I like that Baylor quarterback. Yes, he was. I like him too. Man, if you're going to be a fan, don't quit on your team halfway through the game if it's not going your way. This team has shown you enough times that it can win a game in the fourth quarter. This is new Baylor football. Now, Art Bryles teams lost games in the fourth quarter. We saw that happen <laughs> too many times. Matt Rule's teams, with the 180 philosophy, continues to win games in the fourth quarter because we're more physical, more conditioned, more able to take a punch and punch back. Yeah, I was at Stillwater in 2013 with the Petty trip. The Linwood fumble that led to the biggest meltdown in Baylor football history. Okay, I was there. That's not this team. This team's seven and frickin' oh, baby. So I just just wanted to start the podcast with that. Baylor fans, y'all chill out. You don't need to panic after one bad half. Let's keep it together. Even against like Texas and Oklahoma next month, okay? If the first half doesn't go our way, calm down. It's been a good season. It's been a—we've already matched our win total, including bowl game from last season. It's been a good season. If we have one more bad half, I'm not going to freak out about it. And I'm going to—until we are down by, like, 30, I am never going to count us out of a game. Not under Matt Rule. Not with Charlie Brewer at quarterback. Nope. Can't do it. Can't do it. So I had to get that out. Sorry for starting so loud. So if I understand you correctly, you think that Baylor fans— need to hype up i think baylor fans i was just looking for the opposite of calm down Uh, baylor fans need to support their team and not be so quick to call doom and gloom when something goes wrong that's all so perhaps they should trust the process hashtag trust the pro good word (laughs) dude Trust the frickin' process. In the middle of the game, too. Not just in during the week when it's easy. Not just when we're 7-0. and It's real easy now. It's real trendy now. Speaking of that, uh, Baylor finally starting to get some national recognition. I saw that Fox Sports' Tim Brando made a big deal out of the Bears and said, Matt Rules should earn National Coach of the Year, or at least should be considered most people now expecting Baylor to go into that Texas game 9-0. and Got to take care of business against West Virginia. Got to take care of business on the road against TCU. And if you'll recall, I, I marked that as a loss preseason, too. Granted, TCU is an even worse football team than I thought they would be, and I didn't think they'd be great this year. But those, you know, it's the Big 12. There's no gimme games. So let's not assume we're going to waltz into the Texas game 9-0. and But I think most of the national media is starting to assume that, and rightly so, based on what we've seen so far. Texas comes to McLean, we're 9-0. Like, this Baylor's team's chances of going to a Big 12 title game just increased tremendously with that win in Stillwater. Tremendously. Because, again, I only had two guaranteed losses going into this season. Only two. I said, we're absolutely going to lose to Oklahoma at home. And we're absolutely going to lose on the road to Oklahoma State. And I watched Oklahoma State have their ups and downs before this past weekend. And I still thought, yeah, Stillwater, Mike Gundy, athletic quarterback, best running back in the country. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I... we just took that I cannot emphasize how big this this win was towards making a potential Big 12 title game. The only person you're scared of on your schedule now is Oklahoma. And that's me as a fan talking. I don't think these Baylor players are scared of anybody. The way this defense stepped up without Clay Johnston, I don't know that they're scared of Oklahoma. Terrell Bernard Big 12 Defensive player of the week, props to him. He earned it. The whole defense, though, stepping up. I really did not think we were going to be able to contain Chuba Hubbard. And we didn't completely contain him. I mean, the dude still rushed for a ton of yards, had a good game. But we shut him down on several runs. Got him in the backfield several times. Still put a ton of pressure on Spencer Sanders, forced him into mistakes. This defense continues. The challenges seem to mount every week, get a little bit tougher and this defense continues to rise to the challenge. Just it was it does not feel like that long ago we struggled to beat Rice. And yet every week since then, this defense has taken another step. We lose Clay Johnston at homecoming. Oh crap, we're screwed. The defense takes another step forward. How good could this defense be by the time Oklahoma comes to town? I don't know. But I mean y'all there's no there are no games in which I think Baylor will not be favored other than Oklahoma. I think we're going to be the favorite in every single game other than that one here on out. That's incredible. That's incredible. I realized I just made a massive mistake this earlier I was saying we're going to be 9 and 0 going into the Texas game. We play Oklahoma the week before we play Texas. So it would be 9 and 0 going into Oklahoma. You're hoping for 9-1 and one going into Texas. My mistake on that. You're hoping for 10-0 and 0 going into Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, we're dude, we're not going to beat Oklahoma. That's what you said about Oklahoma State. Dude, we're not going to beat Oklahoma.
1: <laughs> That's what you said about <laughs>
0: Oklahoma State. I'm, you were just saying, don't count out your bears yet. I... That's during a game. <laughs> That's during a game. Okay, if we're tied or only down ten at halftime to Oklahoma, I'll feel okay. I Lincoln Riley is just so good. I need the Cowboys to hire him <laughs> so that he gets out of the Big Twelve and so he can coach the Dallas Cowboys. That'd be a win-win. But I thought this was your year for the oh. Martin's making fun of me because I'm a Cowboys fan. Well, because every year. It's the Cowboys. It is our year. We're still going to win the Super Bowl. I don't even care. <laughs> I don't even care. No, listen. It, 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 your goal, yes, your goal is to win every game, but if we're 9 and 0, or I'm excuse me, if we're uh, Yeah, no, no, no. We're going to be I'm getting mixed up by what we're talking we're about. We're talking about going 9 and 1 or 10 and 0 into Texas. Yeah, we're going to be yeah, we're going to be 9 and 1. And that's fine. Because we'll beat Texas. I've said that all year. We're gonna beat Texas butt at home. And we'll finish the season, the regular season, at eleven and one, go to a Big Twelve title game, and that's when I want to beat Oklahoma. Let's let's see him beat us a second time. <laughs> like how tasty would that be? Oklahoma runs through the season undefeated. We get them in the title game and we take him out of the college football playoff. Ooh, buddy. I mean, I'd rather just beat them twice and maybe have a dark horse shot at the playoff itself. Me too, but we're not going to beat Oklahoma twice. Probably not, but we can hope. So if you're going to beat them one of the two times, let's beat them in the championship game. Then we're Big 12 champions. Done but Done. also you're you're counting out Kansas I've been telling you all season don't count out Les Miles dude, and Texas nearly did dude those Jayhawks yeah but we're a lot better than Texas <laughs> I've been saying that all year we're a lot better than Texas I just wanted to take a moment to poke fun at we're going to beat Kansas this year in three years yeah they're going to be a team the way our defense is played we're going to make Puka Williams look silly okay we're getting off track <laughs> Huge! This win, la- this last win, man, beating Oklahoma State. I'm all scatterbrained now. We're talking, we're talking all these hypotheticals, getting way too far ahead of ourselves. There's one more thing I wanted to get to about this game this past weekend against Oklahoma State. Okay, many people, including myself in moments, have been very hard on Matt Rule. And then Jeff Nixon, offensive coordinator, play caller. For the offensive philosophy that Baylor is installing under Coach Rule. A lot of people have been critical. A lot of people. And I get it. I get it. Because there have been some rough moments. It's been easy to question play calling. Even this past Saturday, you know, we were running the ball successfully. And then there was one drive in particular that I'm thinking of early where we ran for a first down. And then we threw the ball three times and had to punt because all three of those plays were unsuccessful. And it left people going, what are you doing calling plays? Um, Here's what I want to say about this game against Oklahoma State. What we saw against Oklahoma State is exactly what this offense is supposed to be. And it worked. And it worked. Okay? Okay. It's coming together, and it's beautiful. You had Jermichael Hasty going 16 carries for 146 yards. That's an average of 9.1. John Lovett had 7 carries for 57 yards. That's an average of 8.1. And then Charlie Brewer only attempted 17 passes. He completed 13 of them for 312 yards and a score. Josh Fleek's breakout game. Props to him. Guy that we've known this whole time had the athletic potential and just wasn't quite living up to it. But listen, Coach Rule proved this past weekend, and Jeff Nixon proved in a way, that this offensive philosophy is going to work. Run the football, control the football. Build up an offensive line that can dominate the line of scrimmage and open those gaps to run in. The offensive line, by the way, not getting enough credit. A lot of people like to rag on Baylor's offensive line, and they had a rough first half. But run blocking for the majority of the game and then their entire second half performance, the time Charlie Brewer had in the second half in the pocket, incredible. That offensive line played their best game of the season this past weekend. If you listen to my guest appearance on the Oso podcast last week, I said the same thing. I said the offensive line keeps getting ragged, and they're actually playing fine. This offense is going to work. Pound the ball, control the ball, run the clock. Get a quarterback who's accurate and who can move, Charlie Brewer. Let him run and let him throw 17 times. And with Charlie's accuracy 17 times, when he has a clean pocket, especially that second half, deadly. Which is why you saw so many big plays in the second half. This offense is going to work. Over and over and over, what I find with this team over the past two and a half seasons now is that every time I doubt Coach Rule, he proves me wrong. Every time I doubt this team, they prove me wrong. Every time I say, oh, well, we can't do that, we somehow end up doing it. Except beating Oklahoma this year, Martin. Not going to (laughs) happen. But this offensive philosophy, it's not as fun as what's been done in the past, perhaps. Okay, But it's effective, it's going to work, and if you can both control the clock and have explosive plays... Which that's kind of what Rule said we finally had this past weekend that he wants. Ball control, run the football, pound it, and have the explosive plays. You can do anything. I mean, that, this is what Alabama does. Do you understand that? This is what Clemson does. This, we're, we're doing the exact same thing they do. It's predicated on the run. Run, 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 run it down their throat. Pro style. And then, when we have to sling it downfield, we're going to make big plays because we have accurate quarterbacks who can do it. To a Valoa, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, what do they all have in common? Accuracy. So that's, you know, I don't think I'm going to rip on the offensive philosophy or maybe even Jeff Nixon anymore, you know? And I've said things like Sean Bell should be calling plays. Yeah, I still feel that way. I've, you know, said other, I've had criticisms of the offense, but. You know, it's it's working, and it's going to keep working, and it's only going to get better from here. When you get Connor Galvin back, when you continue to put playmakers around Charlie Brewer. Think about it. All of these playmakers, by the way, you're losing Denzel Mims and Jamaica Hasty next year. That's big. I'm not going to act like those aren't big losses. You're losing Sam Tecklenburg, okay? But you're getting so much talent back. Charlie Brewer's back next year. Ebner, love it. Thornton, Fleeks. You've got guys like Jackson Gleason, Yusuf Terry, and Braden Taylor who are just waiting to break out, get some playing time, and make some plays. This team is stacked on offense, and it's going to work. So no more doom and gloom about the offense. Nuh-uh, not in my face. I'm combative today. It's a good thing. You think so? Yeah, it's better than being passive. Man. I'm done. I'm I'm no more combative today, all right? Don't don't freak out on social media at halftime and don't question this offense anymore. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we haven't done an outstanding job this season of previewing the upcoming games. A lot of it because we haven't played any games that I thought were going to be that interesting to this point. But regardless, I thought this week it would be cool to change it up if we got somebody to help us out who knows the West Virginia Mountaineers. And so today I've got Jordan Cruz who hosts the Country Roads webcast for Almost Heaven Athletics. He covers West Virginia football for them and... Last year, I had the privilege of being on that webcast and making a fool of myself because I predicted that Baylor would keep it close in Morgantown, and we got blown out of the water, but I appreciated Jordan letting me come on last year, so we're going to let him come on and help us understand what's going to come out in this Halloween matchup, so I'm happy now to welcome Jordan on to Please Bear With Me all right jordan cruz is with me country roads webcast jordan how are we doing today my man
2: oh doing really good i really appreciate you having me on i'm excited to talk some uh, talk some college football here
0: yeah me too man so hey let's start with this what did you predict west virginia would do this season preseason and how has the team met your expectations thus far
2: well, in the preseason, you know, I knew going in they were kind of had some deficits on the roster and a uh, little bit shorthanded at some positions with guys leaving, transfer portal, things like that. So I predicted West Virginia to finish around 6-6 six and six and, you know, about 4-5 and five in the conference on our uh, season prediction roundtable show there on the podcast. And I think for the most part, the season has kind of been what I expected in a lot of ways up to this point. I had the team win in one game in October to reach that record, though. So, you know, if, if they're unable to win this next one, they'll, of course, go winless in October and they'll have to go three and one in their last four games to get to that six and six record, which will be a little bit difficult. But uh, hopefully they can still get there. But I think the uh, the biggest surprise for me and I think a lot of other WV fans as well, probably has been uh, the ineptitude of the run game. I think that's the thing that not a lot of people were expecting. I think preseason, everyone believed uh, the running back position to be the strongest position on the team to be the deepest position on the team. And kind of just what WVU can lean on this year offensively, and so to see it perform as poorly as it has has really kind kind of gone against the uh, preseason expectations in that way. But I think the biggest thing I was hoping to see was improvement, and I think we've seen that from the beginning of the season for West Virginia up to this point, and also how the coaching staff has handled, you know, preparations, in-game adjustment, you know, in-game management, just things like that that you want to see when you have a whole entire new coaching staff to see how they handle those aspects, and I think I've been thoroughly impressed with the, uh, the coaching staff thus far.
0: Well, you've kind of hinted at my next few questions, but let's just hit hit the, these things one thing at a time. West Virginia, uh, obviously coming off a tough three-game losing streak to three very, very good teams. What is their mindset heading into Waco to face Another very, very good team. Baylor currently undefeated. Do you think they have more motivation to get a win? that is it going to be tough to get up again against a really, really good undefeated football team? What do you think is going on in their minds? How is their preparation and their mental headspace going to be as they come into McLean Stadium on Halloween?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't want to say that they were reeling or anything, Scotty, after those three losses. But I think that... Uh Neil Brown put it best himself this week. he said you know this off week leading up to this game has been really good for what he he said was you know to reset kind of reset physically reset mentally and um I think that they should be be able to be pretty motivated coming into this game against Baylor you know the entry bug has really hit uh West Virginia hard in recent weeks, so the off off weeks come kind of coming at a really opportune time you know, get a guy or two back, and I think it'll help him mentally as well you know and But the fact that you're playing on Halloween, you're playing a night game in a hostile environment, and you're playing against a nationally ranked and undefeated opponent—I mean, that should be enough to get uh, them motivated for this one. I think, despite the three consecutive losses, I think they have built confidence in them game, in those games. You know, probably confidence in themselves due to hanging in. You know, two of those three games against some of the top teams, as you mentioned, up until the fourth quarter, they were in you know, two of a couple of those games. So despite being, you know, young as they are and inexperienced as they are and playing some guys out of position, playing guys that they weren't expecting to play a lot, and I think they can take pride in the fact that they were playing hard enough that, you know – with that, with the exception of the second half against Oklahoma and probably the fourth quarter against the Iowa State, uh, that these teams aren't just running away from from them and dominating these games. I think they can take pride in that. So, I think the team should have enough and should certainly be motivated to try and you know not go winless in October. That should be a big factor, and then also they have a chance to try and earn their first win against a ranked opponent in the Neil Brown era. So, I think there's some factors here that should be uh, able to keep them motivated in this game.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, if West Virginia doesn't win this game, they're going to have to go three and one the rest of the way to get to bowl eligibility. And so I'm curious, is that the big goal at this point is just to get to a bowl game? And would you consider that a successful season? I'm assuming if you predicted six and six, then you'd be pleased if they could actually get there and get to a bowl.
2: Right, right, absolutely. I think I think preseason, I thought that was kind of what would uh, make the season a success or not. And I think, you know, at this point, that is certainly what, you know, the fans want to see. And I'm sure that's what the team's, you know, striving to achieve as well. But however, you know, I believe that at this point, if they were to fall short of that goal, I wouldn't necessarily deem the season a disappointment once you take everything in. A disappointment, rather, excuse me. Once you take everything into account that has happened this season, you know, there's been some departures, uh, multiple season-ending injuries or long-term injuries that have kept players out for, you know, big chunks of the season and that's to a team that was already lacking depth, you know, in the first place coming into the season. So, and I'm not saying that should be an excuse or anything, but what I'm saying is that I think if you're competitive in these games and you're improving while playing true freshmen, retro freshmen in key spots and even having to play some walk-on, walk-ons at times that that in and of itself should deem the season a successful one because you know, it's showing that that this staff can coach and get the best out of whatever personnel they have even though it may be lacking lacking which uh you know also that bodes well for the future though at the same time because you're getting those young guys experience and it's only going to help in the future and i think you're you're building you're laying the foundation for the program right now and i think that trust the climb is the slogan that uh neil brown has coined for this program and i think that's what it's really about right now is just Trust in the climb, and hopefully it results in a bowl game in year one. But if it doesn't, then just continue trusting the climb. Because um, if you look back at Troy, Neil Brown lost eight games in his first season at Troy. And then over the next three seasons, he lost a combined eight games. So I think that he has the experience, and I think you know it's all about trusting the climb at this point, bowl game or not.
0: And Jordan, you probably have a little bit of an idea, but maybe you don't, how eerily similar everything you just said in that answer takes Baylor fans back to 2017 okay and so I want to talk about that just a little bit right where Baylor won one game in 2017 with head coach Matt Rule and his thing was trust the process right and he was playing a ton of true freshmen walk-ons I think at one point we were literally six scholarship offensive linemen on the entire team So, I mean, so everything you just said about where West Virginia is this season echoes back to that one-win season for us, except that, obviously, West Virginia is still a couple steps ahead of where Baylor fell to because, (laughs) obviously, you're having a much better season than a one-win season. But I want to draw the parallel there between Neil Brown because I think he is almost an exact replica of Matt Rule. If you look at him, both coaches won 10 games at non-Power 5 schools in their first head coaching stint before they got their second head coaching stint at a Big 12 university, so Baylor for Rule and now West Virginia for Brown. And so I want to hear just a few more of your thoughts on Coach Brown. Have you been impressed with him? And how has the complexion of the West Virginia football program changed in this transition from Dana Holgerson, who I know was pretty well liked there from what I hear, to Neil Brown?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I really like the fact that you bring up that uh, topic, and it's kind of ironic that you do, because I was just talking to somebody the, uh maybe a week ago uh, talking about the comparisons between uh, Matt rule and what Neil Brown could do at West Virginia in the future as well. And I think that um, Neil Brown even made reference to that during his press conference this week, he was really complimentary of Matt rule and how he's built the Baylor program. And uh, he said, you know, Matt rule came in with a plan. He didn't blink. He stuck to his plan. He knew it would work. And um, similarly, people have talked about Neil Brown having a plan, you know, from day one, he's had a plan and he's sticking to this plan. So I think that, you know, he thinks that he can follow in that same path and have that uh, same type of success that Matt Rule was experiencing right now. So I think the parallels are definitely there. I think you can also look at Matt Campbell at, at Iowa State, too. His kind of similar uh, similar situation there. Took a to program that was down and has them uh, playing really good now as well. And I think you could see Neil Brown do something similar over the next few years at West Virginia. Um, I was extremely pleased with the Neil Brown hire. Um, Actually, from the moment that I found out that uh, Dana Holgerson was leaving, Neil Brown was kind of the number one guy that I really hoped the university would pursue and that I was kind of inauspiciously lobbying for. So to see WVU make what I know I felt like was the best possible hire was uh, huge to me. And the thing that has uh, continued to impress me about Neil Brown is just his attention to detail. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between him and uh, Dana Holgerson, I think that Dana Holgerson is a good X's and O's guy. And I think uh, Neil Brown has that as well. But I think Neil Brown, the one thing that he does possess that uh, maybe Holgerson lacked is uh, just being a program builder. I think that, uh, you know, Neil Brown can really uh, build a program and I think that's where they differ. And I think that comes down to, you know, really thinking everything out to the smallest detail, which is what everyone says. Neil Brown uh, really does. He's a bit of a perfectionist. And I think, you know, my biggest thing that I point to from this season that really demonstrates that to me is that uh, when West Virginia was playing NC State earlier this season, they just scored a touchdown to go up by 17 points, and on the extra point, uh, the holder just caught the snap and took a knee, and you know people were very perplexed at the time, wondering you know what the heck, and then but when I heard the explanation from uh, Coach Brown, I was blown away. Basically, what he uh, said was is that there's virtually no difference and kick an extra point, you know, virtually no difference of being up 17 versus being up 18. So he said, but if the snaps fumbled or the kicks blocked, the other team can run it back and then it becomes a 15 point margin, which then makes it a two possession game. So by taking a knee, you preserve a three possession lead and, you know, greatly increase your odds to win the game. So it's just decision-making like that, that is probably the biggest difference in my mind that I've noticed thus far, just all the way the attention to detail has really impressed me with, with coach Brown.
0: And the parallels continue. By the way, that's that's a crazy good explanation. And when you said that that's what happened, I figured that was going to be his explanation. That is so smart. Matt Rule, again, just I hate to draw more parallels and, no, and no, talk like on about I Baylor because like I've got you here to talk about West Virginia. But um, the big thing for Rule has been Art Bryles didn't hire a special teams coach, didn't coach special teams, put a bunch of his fourth string guys on special teams and said, ah, Ah, it's special teams, and you saw Baylor really play poorly on on that aspect of the game. Matt Rule has emphasized special teams, puts tons of starters, including like your starting wideouts, your starting running backs running down on kick coverage, and emphasizes it and Baylor has blocked like eight kicks or nine kicks in the last two seasons that's impressive this season and last season so you know again another parallel attention to detail great things from coach Brown there so talk to me a little bit about scheme I have not been able to watch West Virginia that much this season I would guess that most of my Baylor colleagues have also not watched a bunch of West Virginia this season, so tell us about their offense defense. I left this question very intentionally open ended, but tell me about their scheme on both sides of the ball and how you think they match up with Baylor on either side of the ball.
2: Well, I'll start on offense um you know coach Brown is uh you know calling the plays on offense he does that he's always done that he says he always intends to do that, so that's kind of uh his baby there offensively and I think that it's, uh you know, the biggest difficulty, as I mentioned earlier, has been the run game or, or lack thereof, rather. And uh, West Virginia has had a couple of decent games running the ball all against NC State and Kansas. But other than that, it's been terribly bad, Uh like 50 total rushing yards bad or even even well below that at a couple times this season. So near the bottom of the country in rush offense and. Coach Brown has even stated recently that it's been difficult because it's as if they've had to reinvent the run game on a week to week basis just to try to get something out of it. And, you know, you lost your bet one of your best offensive linemen earlier in this early in the season playing a lot of young guys in that offensive line as well, so I'm sure that factors into it. But but because of this, you know, West Virginia just really hasn't had an identity per se on offense. They've had to pass a lot, but that has been more out of necessity than necessarily what they're trying to do game plan wise. I think offensively, WVU's best plan of attack is just to try and get the ball to their best playmakers, which this season that has shown to be uh, redshirt freshman wide receiver Sam James. The coaches are extremely high on him and love his potential, and junior wide receiver TJ Simmons. But as far as how they match up against Baylor, unless West Virginia is really able to just you know game plan something out of left field, I think you'll continue to see the run game struggle, and Baylor shouldn't have too much trouble getting stops against the Mountaineers. Now, flipping over to the other side and talking about the West Virginia defense, I think that that's where a lot of people have been uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, Some of the stats might not appear that favorable, but WVU has done some uh, good things on that side of the ball. Uh, New defensive coordinator, Vic Coating, he kind of runs a hybrid 4-2-5 defense, but it really switches up. It can look like a 3-3-5 at times. It's really interesting, some of the things he does, but it's an attacking style, and I think the strength on defense has been the defensive line for West Virginia, mainly the steals. Brothers, Darius Stills and Dante Stills. One plays uh, nose guard, one plays uh, defensive end. But WVU is actually very deep along that defensive line, has some uh, talented players there. The linebackers and the secondary have been the concern on defense. Um, Corner had been solid for the most part, but the senior corner, Keith Washington, missed the past couple of games. But it does appear he will be back uh, in time to play this game against Baylor, which should be a big boost because without him, West Virginia was starting a true freshman in Nick Troy fortune. The downside is, though, that West Virginia did lose their leading tackler last game in linebacker Josh Chandler, and he'll be out possibly a month, as well as an injury sustained to the starting Bandit linebacker, Quandarius Qualls, and his backup is already out for the season, so if he can't go, it's going to be interesting to see what West Virginia does there. May have to shuffle some guys. I think def- defensively, the scheme has proven that it's probably very good when you have the personnel, but WVU is just incredibly thin at a lot of positions, and when guys have don- have gone down, the youth and inexperiences, you know, cause some problems, and unfortunately those injuries have become uh, more prevalent in we- recent weeks, and I think West Virginia's best course of action against Baylor is to probably, you know, hopefully try and create some negative plays and turnovers. But uh, with Baylor's balanced attack, you know, the talented trigger man and Charlie Brewin, and Charlie Brewer, excuse me, you know, weapons around him, Denzel Mims, love It, Ebner, the running backs, I think that Baylor will likely be able to make some plays on this West Virginia defense and score some points. And, you know, having Josh Chandler, the team's leading tackler, out at linebacker, really worries me in this one. This will be the first game he'll be out, so I guess we'll see how that goes. But I think that uh, West Virginia's defense is, just so thin that Baylor should be able to have some success uh, against them
0: man I'm glad you still feel like Charlie is talented after that egg he put up in Morgantown
2: <laughs> hey, that's a, <laughs> that's the uh, aberration I believe just you know just one game
0: I agree I agree absolutely so would you say that running the ball has been the biggest struggle for this team
2: I, I think I think so I think that it it's Probably the most surprising thing because West Virginia has a pretty deep running back room. Um, two seniors in Marto Pedway, Kennedy McCoy, and, uh, then they had two sophomores in Alex Sinkfield and Letty Brown, all who have been listed as co-starters on the running back position all season. So any, all four of those guys have, you know, proven capable in the past. And I think that's what people really thought West Virginia would lean on. And, you know, I think that in general, you know, learning new schemes is hard regardless. But the fact that West Virginia has had inexperienced players learning them, while also, you know, trying to play for the first time, has really made that learning curve even more challenging. And I think Neil Brown wasn't left with a full deck of cards by any means, so to speak, and then also had some transfers preseason, some during the season and of course you know as i said the injury bug hitting it at late so honestly i think perhaps the biggest challenge has been attempting to overcome you know this lack of depth the numbers are really down and in doing so you're having to play guys who i think initially the staff thought they weren't planning on having to play at all this season much less have to even start some games at some point so i think the You know, the running game has been the most surprising um, thing that uh, has occurred, but I think the lack of depth and personnel has been uh, probably West Virginia's biggest struggle they've had to try and overcome this season.
0: I think maybe the most overlooked and underappreciated quarterback in the Big 12 is Austin Kendall, because I think he's really talented, and, you know, obviously anybody that can get a scholarship at Oklahoma is talented, but he's especially talented, and I think – Um, is a really good quarterback how has he been valuable what does he bring to the table for this offense and how happy have you been with him as the starting quarterback this season
2: well you know Austin Kendall um, he's a guy that I feel like has taken a lot of unwarranted criticism from the West Virginia fan base and you know I think that it's it's tough when you don't have a running game. I don't care who you are back there, you know, you don't have a running game and he doesn't like he doesn't have a lot of proven stars around him as well, so I think that's tough and so I think he's gotten some unwarranted criticism that has come his way. But I, I really have liked what Kendall has done overall. I think the thing that I like most about him would probably be his toughness. He had his hand sliced open in the second game of the season against Missouri, got stitches and never missed a snap in that game, and has been playing with a wrap on that hand ever since. That's his, on his throwing hand. He was also in the hospital for two days the week of the Texas game, missed two days of practice, still played every snap in that game. He was knocked out of the Iowa State game in the beginning, but battled hard the uh, following week to get healthy and was able to start and play the whole game against his former team of Oklahoma. And, you know, I think that his toughness certainly makes him valuable, but I also think he manages the game well. I think uh, with what he's had to work with, I've been relatively happy. You know, like I said, when a team can't run the ball, the opponent can really pin their ears back and come after the quarterback. So he's taken a lot of hits. But despite that, he's still been able to make some plays. And I think it'd be hard for any QB to have a lot of success, you know, when there's no run game threat. But he also doesn't have, you know, a lot of dynamic playmakers around him either. He has guys that have potential to become that and guys that have shown flat But there's no proven stars in this offense. You know, he's kind of playing for the first time and a lot of the guys around him or the majority of anyway are are playing for the first time as well. So with what he has had and how he's handled things, I think he's done a really decent and respectable job quarterback in this team. And and I like him as this team starter.
0: Yeah, man, I agree with you. And frankly, there's like three or four fundamental truths of football that never, never change. And one of them is you're never going to be able to have a successful offense if you can't run the ball. That's just true. So tell me this. How do you think West Virginia, and I know there's a lot of injuries along that defense. You've explained them well for us today. But how do you think they're going to try to stop Baylor's offense? Because we've watched Baylor fans have teams take different approaches and some more successful than others, but nothing has worked quite yet. So do you think they're going to double Denzel Mims and try to take him away, which is what Oklahoma State did? Are they going to try to keep Charlie Brewer in the pocket and make him throw out of the pocket? Because obviously he becomes a real threat when he can scramble. Are they going to try to stop the ground attack? Because that's Matt Rule's thing as well, is like let's run the ball, pound the ball, pound the ball, pound the ball. How do you think this West Virginia team is going to try to contain or slow down Baylor's Offense That's been so explosive, especially here the last couple of weeks.
2: Absolutely. It's a tall task for any defense to try and formulate a plan when you got a lot of weapons that have had the success that Baylor's offense has had thus far this season. But I think if I had to uh, pin it down, I would think the number one priority for Vic Koning and, and I'm sure most defensive coaches is, of course, to stop the run first uh wvu has struggled to do that at times this year so i think that will definitely be priority number one following that i think tackling is going to be a big priority um missed tackles have killed W at times this season especially when going against a dynamic quarterback which brewer certainly has uh proven to be so i think that's a big key um they've had times where they've got in there should have had sacks you know they faced kelly bryant they faced Jalen Hurts, Sam Ellinger, Brock Purdy. And, you know, they've had times where they could have had these quarterbacks in the backfield and they have missed the tackle. You know, those are elusive guys. And I think Brewer has that ability as well. So I think they're going to be preaching tackling a lot this week. And, you know, if you get your hands on somebody, try and get them down. And I think that's going to be a big part of the game plan. And then as far as Denzel Mims, I think it's going to be interesting to see what they choose to do there. Um, Keith Washington coming back is certainly a a big-time thing there, and hopefully he's 100%. If he is, I think they will stick – him on him man-to-man at first see how it goes from there uh quietly uh Keith Washington has had one of the better seasons of any corner in the Big 12 so I think the coaches have a lot of faith and a lot of a lot of trust in him and hopefully he's 100% and can handle the job but that being said if Mim starts making plays like like he tends to do I think you could definitely possibly see some bracket coverage on him or possibly uh employing a little bit more zone coverage than WVU usually does, so I think WVU's defensive line is going to have to play big this game with the losses West Virginia suffered at linebacker. And I think that if the defensive line can't clog the run holes and, and can't get pressure on on Brewer and get him to the ground when they do, it could spell trouble in a long day for the West Virginia defense.
0: Who's an under the radar player that Baylor fans maybe haven't heard of but need to look out for during that game on Halloween?
2: Ah, good question. I, I think I can give you one on each side of the ball. I think um, defensively, uh, true freshman Tykey Smith has been a bright spot that not a lot of people outside of uh, Mountaineer Nation probably know about. Um, he was playing a, a little bit of safety earlier this season in a reserve role, but after the team's starting uh, spear linebacker Javani Stewart decided to sit out the rest of the year to obtain a redshirt and enter the transfer portal. Uh Tykee Smith has taken over as a team starter at that spear position, which is kind of a linebacker safety hybrid position. And he's played really well since taking over there, um, tackling well. And he also actually snagged a pick six in his first career start at the position against Iowa State. So he's been a, a bright spot that's kind of under the radar. And then on offense, I don't know if he's uh as much under the radar, but I, I like to talk about him any chance I get. And that's uh, Sam James. I mentioned him briefly earlier. Redshirt freshman at wide receiver, got a lot of speed. Um, He's had some ups and downs this season, but I think you can certainly see the potential and why the coaching staff really loves this guy and is really high on him. And I think he could have a special career by the time it's all said and done at West Virginia.
0: What's your prediction? Score, uh, how's the game going to go, everything? What's your prediction for the game? And I want to know if you're going to grace us with your presence in Waco on Halloween, dude.
2: Oh man, I wish I could, but unfortunately won't get to won't get to make this trip. I, I'd love to get down there to Waco one day to catch a game though, for sure. I I moved to Florida a little over a year ago, so I haven't got to go to get to as many games as I have in the past, but hopefully that changes in the near future, but rest assured I will definitely be watching this one on TV. Um, I think that former uh, West Virginia punter and kicker Pat McAfee is going to be a part of the broadcast team. So definitely looking forward to getting to hear that's going to be fun game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love Pat McAfee's he's he's great. He's, he's, he's uh, funny. He's hilarious, you know, and I think, you know, being uh, from West Virginia, I think it'll, being cool just to see him, you know, call him out near a Mountaineer game as well. So, uh, but as far as prediction, you know, I think when teams are on, uh, you know, longer win streaks like Baylor currently is, as they're undefeated, you know, seven and zero, sometimes they can ride high and they can get caught off guard. And I can see why people may think, you know, West well, Virginia has a chance to do that. However, I think that it's just, even if that is the case in Baylor, you know, is caught off guard early, and you know West Virginia can jump out or something. I think Baylor has enough, and WVU lacks so much and just so young. You know, so early in this uh, coaching transition that even if they are briefly caught off guard, that uh, Baylor will be able to recover and still manage to win the game. So, uh, I, I like Baylor in this one. And if I had to put a number on it, I think I would go with something like uh, thirty-one to twenty-one.
0: All right, last question, and it's a two-parter because I asked some folks on Twitter earlier what I should ask you and there was um one thing that really stood out that multiple people mentioned so first of all two-parter if a Baylor fan comes to Morgantown and I think my buddies and I are actually going to try to go this next time around but if a Baylor fan comes to Morgantown next season what is the one or two things that he or she must do and that's game day or otherwise what must we do on a Morgantown trip and then part two that everybody on Twitter, all the people that listen to my podcast want to know what's up with the moonshine. And is it really that easy to find at a West Virginia tailgate?
2: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Cause, um, you know, if, first of all, if, you know, Baylor fans have never been to Morgantown, I highly recommend making the trip. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm biased, but I think it's one of the best college game day experiences in the country. So, uh, definitely hope you guys get to come up and hopefully maybe I can be at that game too. We could link up or something, but you know, uh, the, If I'm thinking of things that are a must, I think, you know, for one, for sure, you know, you mentioned it briefly, I think whatever the start time is of the game that you're going to come to in Morgantown, you're going to want to get there early enough to do a little tailgating, you know, head over to the blue lot outside the stadium. Find some welcoming Mountaineer fans, which uh, shouldn't be too hard. The vast majority are extremely hospitable. And, you know, tailgating in Morgantown is always a great experience. You know, the fans like to claim that uh, we've never lost a tailgate. So there's that. But other than that, uh, a second thing that I would say would be a must is uh, try a pepperoni roll. That's kind of a staple in the state of West Virginia. You know, I know go to other states you mentioned it a lot of people don't even know what you're talking about when you talk about a pepperoni roll but they are great and you will not be disappointed i guarantee it so if someone has a tailgate has some on hand definitely try them if not they sell them inside the stadium grab a pepperoni roll give it a try tailgating and pepperoni roll that's my two suggestions as far as the moonshine um i'd say there's about a at least a seventy percent chance, maybe even higher, that if you're at a tailgate, um, there will probably be some moonshine there.
3: Yeah, these stories are very
2: true, and it is very prevalent, uh, especially on game day in Morgantown. So moonshine is uh, is wouldn't be hard to find. No,
0: that's so satisfying <laughs> when there's like a a cultural or an urban like mythos about a place, and it turns out to be true. Yeah,
2: yeah that's one. That so that's
0: that's so exciting, man. That's so exciting. Well, Hey Jordan, is there anything else at all that you feel like you need to put in or you'd like to say uh, to listeners of the podcast or Baylor fans as we get ready to close out here, bud?
2: No, I just, I'm really excited for this game. It's an awesome. You know, game on Halloween. I'm excited for it. Um, I'm glad to see Baylor, uh, back doing well again, you know, uh getting get near the top of the conference again, uh, missed that these past few seasons. Hopefully West Virginia can do the same in the future. And just really looking forward to a great game and uh, really appreciative of you having me on here, Scotty. Great conversation. Always enjoyed talking to Big 12 football and hope for a great game in Waco on Halloween.
0: All right, let's look at West Virginia. Listen, I'm not really worried about this team. First year head coach. Lost a lot of talent off of last year's team coming to our place. I will say my only concern is that this could be a little bit of a trap game. I say that for a couple reasons. Number one, you got TCU on the horizon. Even though TCU is not that good, that's a rivalry game, right? There's some of us who would rather see Baylor beat TCU every year than Baylor win another Big 12 title. Maybe, yes. Some people. I don't think I'm that person, but maybe. I, I very well might be one of those people, yeah, <laughs> so classic trap game, you might look ahead to the game that's ahead. Now, our team has been really good about not being like that. Our team is very good about saying, "Want to know every week and and so I don't know that they'll do that, but the tendency might be there. Secondly, it's on Halloween. That's just weird, okay? Weird things happen when games are at weird times and, and in weird scenarios like weird can happen. It's on Halloween. Throw some rhythm off. You never know. Okay. And thirdly, Austin Kendall at quarterback is a player. He's not any better than Brock Purdy. I don't even know that he's that much better than Spencer Sanders. Okay. But he's a player. And if we're not careful, if we take this team too lightly, he will dice us up. Fourth, and last... Matt Rule teams struggle off of buys. Matt Rule teams struggle off of buys. We saw it this year against Rice. That was the first time a Matt Rule team won off of a buy, and we looked like we were trying to lose that game. So I don't know that this this is a true bye week. I was going to say I don't know that this is a true bye week, but we've got over a week and a half between games. This is a true bye week. The week after that is a half bye week. Because we don't play that Saturday, but Matt Rule teams struggle off of buys, and so I don't, I you know, I don't anticipate that we're going to come out juiced up and ready to go. I anticipate some sluggishness. I anticipate some early mistakes. Okay, but I'm not worried about this game. I think we win this game by 20, 25, a yeah, very dominating fashion. I think there's some big plays to get fans excited. I think this might be the game where Rule puts in Yusuf Terry just to see what he can do. Uh, you might see some in late. I really think this is going to be uh, a coast win before we have to get ready to go to Fort Worth. All right, we're glad to have Andrew Miner back with this week's Miner Minute.
1: Thanks, Scotty. It's getting hard to say which victory has been most impressive for Baylor this season. Each week exhibits a different situation, a new playmaker, and an exhilarating finish. And contrary to the popular narrative, Baylor is not playing a bunch of nobodies. They've now been four quality Big 12 opponents, with two being on the road, all in consecutive weeks heading into a much-deserved and needed bye week. They've done so in come-from-behind fashion three times, and every time Charlie Brewer steps onto the field trailing in the fourth quarter, you just get the feeling that greatness is forthcoming. Look at the diversity these Bears have faced over the last four weeks. They gave up 21 fourth quarter unanswered points to Iowa State before Brewer led a 14-play, 54-yard drive to set up the game-winning field goal with 20 seconds left. Second, they pulled away and steamrolled Kansas State in their first Big 12 road game with a backup quarterback. Third, Brewer led an 11-play, 89-yard drive in just over a minute to force overtime against Texas Tech after throwing three interceptions on the day, his first all year, and the Bears won in double overtime. And fourth, against Oklahoma State, Terrell Bernard, replacing Clay Johnston, scored the game-sealing touchdown on a fumble return. This team responds to adversity, and they play their best when the pressure is on. The lights won't be any brighter than when the Bears host West Virginia on Halloween, Oklahoma, and then Texas in November. They will also travel to the TCU for a potential trap rivalry game. Baylor has not been the Hornfrog, Sooners, or Longhorns since 2014, and in order to have a shot at the Big 12 title and true national respect, they'll have to accomplish that this season. It's a tall task, but like we've said before, if any team is equipped to handle the adversity, it's Baylor. For this Minor Minute, I'm Andrew Minor. Thank you, and Sick'em Bears.
0: Hey, so I'm so thrilled I asked some of you to talk about your experience in Stillwater and a couple of you have responded. So here are those submissions, uh, just a couple of you who felt like sharing your story from Stillwater, Oklahoma this past weekend. Take it away, guys.
3: Hey, everyone. I'm Jason Scott. I graduated from Baylor in 2013. My wife is a bear, too. Right now, we live near Kansas City. I've somehow managed to go to each of the last three football games. I'm not sure I managed to go to three games in a row ever as a student. Um, Manhattan's a pretty short two-hour drive from here, so not too bad. Bill Snyder Family Stadium itself really wasn't much to look at, inside or out. Kind of remind me a little bit of Floyd Casey, if we're being honest. Uh, Except, obviously, a little bit closer to their campus. Um, start of the game, atmosphere was pretty electric. They had, obviously, their traditions to get them all pumped up and riled up like we do. Uh, once we pulled away in the second half, though, the mass exit started pretty quickly. Uh, it was pretty empty by the time the game ended. Uh, definitely awesome seeing that good old Baylor line with all the Baylor fans who made that trip. Um, then I went to the best homecoming celebration in the country. And then a week later, I went to Stillwater to see the Bears play OSU. It was impossible to park anywhere near the stadium um there were definitely cowboy fans everywhere uh definitely a bit of a rowdier crowd i'd say than kansas state uh the stadium was every bit as intimidating as i've heard from crowd noise the claustrophobias tight sidelines i mean you name it um, but to be honest i was a bit disappointed with the paddles uh, it's obviously hard to say what they sound like on the field but they always, always took a back seat to crowd noise, uh, at least from where we were sitting. Um, the crowd was definitely in it right until the strip sack fumble touchdown. Uh, it was like one gigantic gut punch to all of Oklahoma State. Um, but they didn't really start leaving the stadium until, obviously, Hasty's touchdown run a little bit later. Um, In both cases, the team, after the games, uh, ran over, high-fived all the visiting fans. I mean, you can really see it in their eyes uh, how much they appreciate road support. Um, I'd say if you ever have a chance to go see this team at home or on the road, definitely go. These guys have definitely earned it. Uh, Thanks, Scotty, for having me on, and Slickin' Bears! Hey, Scotty, this is William Zimmerman,
4: and I was in Stillwater for the Baylor game and had a... Good time as my first time to Stillwater. It was homecoming, so it was, it was interesting to observe the uh, the nuances and the different traditions that they do relative to Baylor, um, and how grandiose they think their homecoming is. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be able to sit in a suite for the game, due to one of the partners at my firm having some extra tickets, and so found the overall experience. The fan base was very hospitable. I think as long as you're not OU, you know they're relatively friendly and easy to get along with stadium's great i think osu thinks it's an incredible stadium i think relative to mclean i have to keep comparing you know it's got its own subtle differences that i think i like a little bit more for example we've got tears they don't um and also just you even notice a little bit like how the sun falls in the evening on the field relative to mclean um Overall, great experience. Would easily go back. It's much easier to do the drive back to Dallas after a win than a loss. So glad we got the win. All right, sick and Bears.
0: Man, we had a good episode today. Appreciate you guys listening. Sickham Bears. 7 and 0 feels good. I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. You should too. This team has a real shot, y'all, at disrupting some things and making some noise. Let's continue to support them. For Martin Thomas and Tim Watkins and everybody else who makes this podcast possible, my name is Scotty Swingler. This has been Please Bear with me, Sick'em Bears. Hey, really quickly, I'm literally sitting in a coffee shop getting ready to publish this episode, speaking into the microphone on my Apple headphones. So, forgive me, but... Every bit of content you just heard was recorded before this past Saturday. I took some students in my youth group on a fall retreat this past uh, weekend. It went great. But, you know, every bit of that we just went through was recorded before this past Saturday. And this past Saturday was obviously huge for Baylor in terms of where we stand in the Big 12 and the opportunity to get into that Big 12 championship game at the end of the season. And we will talk much more about this next week, but I did just want to note that this West Virginia game now becomes even more crucial to take care of business as the games after that are only going to get tougher. And so, let's get out there and support our Bears and our hopes for a Big 12 championship have greatly increased this week. And let's pray that we are we break the trend here right of underdogs winning in the Big 12 this week. But anyway, appreciate you guys listening. Hope to see you on Thursday night. We'll talk about all of the implications of this after we see what Baylor does against West Virginia this week. Thanks. Please bear with me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man, Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check him out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time.